You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. As the deacons make their way to their seats, I want to invite you to turn with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. And go ahead and uh, apologize right up front. I don't know if it's an apology, um, but maybe more by way of information. We, um, uh, we will be a little bit longer in our service this morning due to uh, just celebrating the Lord's Supper together and some really important things for us to talk about in God's Word. Uh, it's a good thing we start early, right? Because we'll still beat the Methodists to the cafeteria. Uh, so just so you know that, um, we're going to finish up a little bit late this morning, and I wanted to prepare you ahead of time. As we get into this all-important subject, some of you have already (coughs) commented, actually a lot of you have already commented on my shirt. Um, I was asked, did my wife dress me this morning? Um, I was asked, uh, did your wife buy you that shirt? Uh, I was asked a number of things like that. No, actually I chose to wear this shirt this morning uh, because I do love my wife. And it is a thing in Scripture that we are commanded to do. But not just in the way that we define it. In fact, the Bible calls us to love our wives in specific ways. And it is namely in and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you know, we have been in this series looking at the gospel on the ground. The first three chapters of Ephesians dealing with these lofty gospel truths. The last three chapters of Ephesians bringing them down to ground level. And showing us how to live out the gospel in our everyday lives. We don't jettison those truths behind us whenever we get saved. Rather, the truth of the gospel begins to infiltrate and infuse itself into every area of our life. So that everything from beginning to end, from the smallest to the greatest, is absolutely transformed by the power of the gospel. So we come to a place in Ephesians 5 where Paul gets a little bit more personal. And this subject is one that is sensitive, no doubt, to many, many of you. It is certainly applicable to things that, are you, that you are going through even right now as we sit here in this room. And that is the subject of the Christian home or the Christian family. And there's instruction in the passage we're going to read this morning regarding Husbands and wives, regarding the passage we'll look at in a couple of weeks, regarding children and parenting and how we live out the gospel in our homes. And I would say to you this morning that that is an altogether, all too important topic in the world in which we live. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the country in which we live, we often fight the battles of abortion and homosexuality and those kinds of things as we should as Christians. Those are things that we should absolutely stand against because God is against them. 
And yet, I don't know if you realize this, but according to the CDC, there were over three quarters of a million divorces last year. That number exceeds both abortion and same-sex marriage put together. And the church is often found fighting the things that, that we see that are the most obvious, but oftentimes there are things happening even within our very midst, many of those divorces being among Christians, believers. Premarital, sa- premarital sex is at an all-time high, and, and actually it is now seen not as something taboo socially, but something that is normal and even permissible and sometimes even good. Juvenile crime is high. Absent fathers in homes is high. All of these numbers, we could go on and on about the condition of our world. And I want you to hear me say very clearly this morning that the reason that all of these things are true is because we don't have the gospel in our homes. The gospel is not just for the church The gospel is for husbands and wives and parents and children. And if we don't get it right in our homes, we will continue to see the same things happening both within our culture and within the Christian church. And what Paul says to us this morning is that we should see our roles as parents and as husbands and wives as gospel vessels carrying the gospel out in our homes. Before we dive into the text and read what Paul has written for us by the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to just say to some of you this morning that may automatically raise an objection. Some of you in this room are already tuning out because you're saying, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe maybe you've you've been married before and you you really feel like you've learned all there is to know. I want to just caution you. I want to caution you with two matters before we read the passage. One is the matter that Paul says to you later when he says that whatever state you find yourself in to be content, you're single, you find contentment in Christ in that state. That's number one. You live your life to the glory of God, whatever that looks like, according to his word in your life. The second thing that I would say to you is regarding this passage, though, and that is this. It will take the entire body of Christ waging this war. In order to make the gospel central in the life of the family. If you've lived it, you need to teach it. If you haven't made it there yet, you need to learn it. And if you've messed up somewhere along the way, God's going to redeem it if you will be obedient to him. So in all of that, let's take Ephesians, a very sensitive passage, and let's read it together. If you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, begin with me at verse 22 as we read through verse 33, the end of this chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything To their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, 
Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pray with me. Lord, this is a profound mystery. How anyone could in this side of heaven do these things. God, no doubt there are Couples in this room that are in fights even as we speak. Crisis, turmoil. But you are the God of heaven and there is nothing impossible for you. God, I have watched you work in marriages across this faith family. And I know that you are able. You are able to redeem what is broken. But we must submit our lives to the teaching of your word. And so I pray. That this very morning we would do that. That men in this room would rise up and be husbands like Christ to his church. May we love our wives in the way that you love us. And I pray that the result would be that you would be glorified and honored. That your gospel would be proclaimed in word and in deed. And that people would even be saved as a result of seeing the gospel at work in our homes. Lord, that requires that we know you and your love for us. So if there's a lost man here, or if there's a wife who's praying for a lost husband, I pray for salvation this day. We know that that will be because your spirit moves. So would you come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our convictor, and lead us to repentance and faith in Christ, I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Oh, how much there is to learn. (laughs) So much to say and to know and to hear regarding what it means to be a godly husband. And I do not say that to you only. I say that as a echo back to myself. If there was a megaphone bouncing off of that back wall, it is resounding to my heart this very morning. And what it means to be a godly husband, I am chasing after that and trying to figure that out. I'm not there yet, but I know what Scripture teaches us. And we must unapologetically, wholeheartedly run toward what Christ says as husbands. So what does it look like? Let me give you some window, if you will, into the Ephesian culture, because the Ephesian culture really says why Paul says some of the things that he does in this passage. Ephesus, as you know from our time in this passage, in this book rather, Ephesus was the main city in Asia Minor. And as the main city in Asia Minor, it was the seat of both the Roman government and the Greek culture. 
as Rome was taking over the world and Greece was kind of there, Rome blended in and Greco-Roman culture became one thing, one hybrid kind of thing where Greek culture brought in all of their gods and their arts and Roman culture brought in their power and their dominance and this new world order, so to speak, took over the, the whole Asia Minor area. And so as a result... People began to pick up both of those things and some of the hallmarks of those cultures was the, the value of hedonism or pleasure where we chase after things that make us happy. Diana, as you've heard much about over this series, was the goddess, the sexual goddess of the day. And there was the practice of temple, temple prostitution in the day and men would chase after pleasure. Women would chase after pleasure. They valued hedonism. They valued individualism. One of the key values of the Greco-Roman world was advance yourself, be happy, find what makes you successful and chase after those things. Individualism was key. The Greek culture, the Greek side of things, objectified women. In Greek culture, women were objectified in, in different ways, but primarily there were men who would have a multitude of women in their life, whether those, those women were wives or not. These women would fulfill different purposes. Uh, scholars tell us that there were women who would stay at home and make sure all of those things were taken care of. There were women who would be more of the beauty queen, the, the one that he finds all of his pleasure in. And then there would be the trophy wife, the one went, that went with him to all of the big parties and all of the big events to make his career stand up on its feet. As Rome began to rise in the area, women began to break off from that kind of a culture. And what men were doing to objectify women, now men were, or now women were doing in order to objectify men. And this movement of feminism took place across the Eastern world. Roman women were especially prominent in cultic religions. They actually were priestesses in many of those religions. They boasted of their beauty. They wore pearls. This is why over in First Timothy that Paul warns the, the church there at Ephesus, don't adorn yourself outwardly, but adorn yourself inwardly, women. He warns Timothy, instruct the women in this way. And so this movement of feminism began to creep its way across the area. Marriage then. Marriage in that world became a social construct. Nothing more than what was profitable for political gain or social status. And it was completely disposable. When you got tired of your spouse, mainly from men to women, but it was beginning to happen with women to men, when you got tired of the whole thing, you move on and find something else. Completely disposable. disposable. And Ephesus... The place that Paul was writing to was the hub of all of this culture. And I want you to know this morning that our culture and even the church in America is not far different than that culture. We love individualism. We aspire for pleasure, hedonism. We chase over after all of those things. There is a movement of feminism in our culture. We objectify women and pornography and other things all the time. We are Ephesus. We are a modern day Ephesus. And boy, do we need this message as much as they did. The passage 
addresses all of these cultural distortions of biblical manhood and and womanhood and marriage and parenting. And Paul tries to bring all of these things back into line. And in order to do that, he argues for one primary thing, and that is to get the gospel at the center of these homes and to teach the church that it totally transforms the way that we live. You'll see it there over and over again. Look at verse 22 when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He says the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and listen to this phrase, and is himself its savior. That is all gospel. All the instruction of that phrase, those two verses, all of that instruction is get the gospel into your marriage. Same thing in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 32, same thing. The mystery is profound and I am saying, this is phrased very carefully, I am saying that it refers, what refers? The mystery, all that he's been speaking about, refers to Christ and the church. Paul is not saying there that I'm telling you about marriage, so I've got to give you another lesser example in order to teach you how to be better husbands. What he's saying is, all that I'm telling you about, actually, the very first place and all that it refers to is To the relationship between Christ and the church. That is the crux of the passage. It is not husbands and wives. The crux of the passage is Jesus and the church. But then we get a bonus. Because God has given us such an incredible gift in marriage. And he says, just like my son loved you, you go and you love your bride. Incredible, incredible picture. And so I want to give you this main truth about marriage. What is Paul arguing for in the whole passage? It's this. Marriage is designed by God to depend on and to be a display of the gospel of Christ. You want to know what the takeaway is. You want to know how to do anything in marriage. That's it. That's the takeaway. That you depend on and display the gospel of Christ. What kind of husband should I be today? Well, I've got to depend on Jesus and his gospel and how he died for me in order to do it at all. And when I do it, the ultimate landing point is not on my wife and it's not on me and it's not on the marriage, but it's on Jesus. To display the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where, as we read this passage, we begin to have some objections. And I've heard every one of these. So let me just kind of rattle some off to you. Because some of you are going, yeah, I see it there, but that's a different world. We, we, don't, we don't live like that anymore. That's first objection I've heard is that's old-fashioned. Anybody ever heard that? That's old-fashioned. Wives don't submit to their husbands anymore. We've got we to gotta break free of that. We've got to be our own people and, and live as, as our own, in our own world. We don't need men. It's an old-fashioned concept. I've heard that this was in the day of a male-dominated world, a patriarchal society, and, and now we don't live in a patriarchal society, so things have, have changed. And, and that's oppressive then. That's something to be avoided. By the way, that's actually not true. To be underneath a patriarchal society, to be underneath a, a, a godly headship kind of a society is not at all oppressive. It's actually very liberating. We'll come back to that. I've heard that this passage undervalues women, that somehow men have greater value. And this is why that they're put as head. And that's also not 
true. I've also heard of marriage, the chief end of marriage being my own personal happiness. Well, this is too hard. I want to be in a happy marriage. I don't want to have to work for this. All of those things are objections that do not find themselves in Ephesians 5. All of those things, as we talked about last week, find themselves in a secular worldview that's built basically like Greco-Roman culture in modern day America. And the gospel comes in and shreds those things. How do I know that? Well, there are some very foundational truths about marriage that we should see in the passage. Really, it begins at the end of the passage. Before we ever get instruction, we need to understand this platform on which it's built. Notice verse 31, Paul argues, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Do you know where that's from? Let me give you a hint. It's not from first century New Testament. It's from before time ever began. Right at the beginning. So the design of marriage is established not in the New Testament. The design for marriage is actually established in creation before the fall. This is not some corrupt model that we see in the New Testament. This is actually a good thing and a godly design. Begins at creation. The design of marriage is established at creation. By the way, that answers the old fashioned objection. In case you weren't tracking with us right there. You can't make a claim that this is just old-fashioned or some corrupt position because this is what God wanted from the very beginning. It's a complementarian approach. It was not good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helpmate, a relationship. But along with that, God defined not only that there would be a relationship, but what the relationship would be like. That the husband would be head of the wife. So the design of marriage is established at creation. Secondly, the permanence of marriage is displayed in covenant. The permanence of marriage is displayed in covenant. Notice with me that this becoming one flesh and leaving his, his mother and father and becoming one flesh with his wife, holding fast to that to become one flesh is covenant language. To to make a covenant in the Old Testament, there was a cutting of an animal and that cutting uh, oftentimes a a man would pass between the two pieces of the animal. The cutting of the flesh, the the rending or the the putting together of flesh is is covenant language. And so what Paul is saying to the church is you you have a covenant in marriage. And what I'm calling you to is that this is a permanent kind of thing. It's displayed in the covenant. God never breaks his covenant. We're the ones that break covenants. And what God is calling us to, like him, is to display in marriage a lifelong permanent covenant. Third, third foundational truth, the beauty of marriage is its expression of the gospel. We're We're talking a lot about that, so we're not going to belabor this point. But the beauty of marriage is its expression of the gospel. This is a beautiful passage. If this was lived out perfectly, you would see the most beautiful marriage you have ever seen in your life. Because its beauty would not be found in the happiness of the marriage, but in the holiness of it. Its beauty would be found. We we worship the Lord. You remember this from Psalms? 
we worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness, when we see the glory of God on display in His gospel, it is a beautiful picture. Your marriage ought to represent the beauty of Christ. And then that leads us to an overarching truth that you'll not find here explicitly, but summing all of this together, that the purpose of marriage is the glory of God. His character, His will, His love, that's what we see displayed in this passage. His character, His will, His love. And that is the purpose of your marriage. I'm going to just burst a couple of bubbles. The purpose of your marriage is not your personal happiness. Some of you aren't getting that. The purpose of your marriage is not your personal happiness. And thank God it's not. Because if you've been married very long at all, there's going to be a day or you've already woke up on a day where you are not happy with your marriage. And if it were up to your happiness, you'd have been gone. But when the purpose of your marriage is the glory of the living God, everything else gets put on the altar and God's glory reigns supreme. So, what does that mean for husbands? Yes, we're just getting to the meat of the passage. What does that mean for husbands? And maybe a better question for you, why would we start with husbands? Why not start with wives? The passage starts at wives. I want you to just notice, and, and oftentimes the men, we, 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 we're going to talk about marriage today, and that starts, and I know that one, Pastor, that says wives submit to your own husbands. I, I know that passage well. I preach that all the time to my wife. I get it. But really, if you're honest with the passage, you'll notice that all of the textual weight is given to the husbands. Notice it there. Itty bitty paragraph, verses 22 through 24. Really big paragraph, verses 25 through 33. Not only that, if you're reading carefully, you'll notice that in the last verse before this passage, verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, oh, by the way, wives, you need to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And here's where this is established. Husbands, love your own wives. All of the weight is there. So what's the instruction? It is this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church in the gospel. That is simple language. Really simple language. But Oh, so deep in its application. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Key word in the whole passage, love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife. Foundational point is that we are to love our wives. And foundational to that love is not, <clears throat> is not our initiative of loving God, but rather his initiative of loving us. Foundational to the kind of love that Christ give, gives is his own initiative. There is a certain one-sidedness to it. When we were sinners, 
God gave, Christ gave in the passage. Jesus sanctified. Jesus presents. You look all throughout the passage. It's Jesus doing the action. This is why that we love Christ at all. The Bible tells us this. We loved Him because He first loved us. Jesus takes the initiative in the Gospel. Husbands take the initiative with their wives. We are the head. That's what it means to be the head of the wife. Is that we have the primary ownership, responsibility to lead out in loving them. Also foundational to that. It is not dependent on our wives respecting us. Can I get an amen? I didn't get very many. There are no conditional statements in the passage. Anybody read an if? It's not there. That means that husbands love your wives. And I'm going to say this very carefully, but very intentionally. No matter how they treat you in return. The instruction is to you, husbands, that you love unconditionally in the way that Christ loved His church. That's the call on your life. Yeah, but you just don't understand, Pastor, how she treats me and how she does this. That's okay. Yeah, but you don't understand. We just fight all the time. It's miserable. That's okay. Jesus said, love your enemies, Vody Bauckham said. Does it matter, at the end of the day, her response until next week? Don't. Miss that last part, wives. It doesn't matter, husbands, to your love, how she, how she treats you. You love her as Christ loved the church. So what does that look like? It looks like two primary things that we'll spend the rest of our time looking at as briefly as we can this morning. It means, number one, that husbands need to see. See how Christ Loves you. Don't miss this, husbands. Hear this from this passage. Paul is saying, husbands, oh, hear this. See how Jesus loves you. How could you miss that, husbands? How could you miss the reality that God has given an incredible insurpassable to our understanding. He's created, He's given us this love, of this relationship through Christ and His blood. He's created this relationship that should just absolutely consume us. Don't miss the fact that Christ loves us. See how He loves you. And not only does He say that, notice it there, He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You've got to get that. As Christ loved the church, He loves us. Well, how did he do that? Paul is very clear about what that looks like. He says that he gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself up for you. Doesn't say that he gave of himself for you. It says that he gave Himself up. What does that mean? It means that He died. He was dead in the ground, buried. He gave everything. There was nothing left 
to give. He gave all that He was for the church. And by the way, He did that in our place. It's called substitution. Jesus died in my place. What I deserved may be a Roman crucifixion, but more than that, the, the, the entire cup of God's wrath poured out on Him in my place, what I deserved from God. His wrath abiding on me as a sinner. And that's what Jesus did. He took God's wrath On himself, it was a substitution. And as a sinner, I have been forgiven because Jesus died in my place and I've put my faith and trust in him and him alone. That's what Jesus did. We know love because he demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not for godly people, but ungodly people. Secondly, Verse 26 goes on, that he might sanctify her. The word sanctify means to set apart or to cleanse, to make pure. So he goes on to sanctify her, having cleansed her. That's already happened by the washing of the water with the word. There is a sanctifying that is ongoing and there is a cleansing that has already happened. Christ has justified us and so he is still cleansing us by his Word through his word. And so what he's doing in essence, number two, is creating himself in you. Jesus is washing us by the water of his word, which means he's taking in us what doesn't look like him and he's exchanging it for his righteousness on a daily basis where we become like Christ. He's making us look like what he intended at the beginning in creation. He creates Himself in us, verse 26. And that happens through the Word. A lot in that. We move on. Number three is in verse 27. He's doing all that so that He might present the church to Himself. He's giving a gift to Himself in splendor, or beauty, or glory, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's wanting... A holy church that's without blemish. He's presenting to himself a gift that is beautiful and spotless and holy. In other words, that brings glory to himself. And so what is he doing? He's number three, glorifying himself through you. All this is so beautiful that Christ would work in our lives and change us so that one day, one day he would take our lives and present them to himself and that he would be Totally pleased with us. How many of you long for that day? I want to be totally pleasing to Jesus. I'm tired of messing up. I'm ready for Christ to to come and to to bring me into a place where I've been made whole. I'm ready for that. But even until that day, he's doing that in his church every day. Number four, verses 28 through 31, he kind of builds an argument. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. He nourishes it and cherishes it. Two different words, but the idea is care. So what Christ does is he commits himself to, the, to caring for his body. Jesus, Listen, Jesus not only saved you, but he's caring for you every day. Nourishing you, nourishing you, which provides for your physical needs, 
God is doing that. Now we've got to redefine what needs are there. But God is, Jesus is providing as a shepherd. He's providing for the physical needs that you have in your life. He's providing for your spiritual needs, of course. And He's providing for your emotional needs. Any need that you have, Jesus is caring for you. That's what it means to nourish, to provide what is necessary in order to promote health. He's providing nourishment and He's cherishing you. It's a different word than love. It's the word to actively love, to actively, I I like the word treasure. And when you have something that you love, you protect it, you hold it, you keep it, you put it on a shelf, you put safeguards around it. We, We protect our homes and our cars by putting security systems. We protect the things that we love. Jesus is, is cherishing. This is my, in fact, First Peter calls us as prized possession. Not because, by the way, you are the very center of God's world, but because in glorifying Himself through your life, He is bringing glory and honor to His name. And He cherishes you. He cherishes you. And then the end of the passage, verse 30 and 31, we are members of His body, this This argument of the flesh idea, one flesh, we become one with Christ. The idea is the the union that we have with Jesus, union with Christ, members of his body. And so he keeps the covenant. I love this. There's nothing about that that we're keeping. It's what Christ keeps because he has shed what is necessary, his blood, in order to bring us into the new covenant that we just Celebrated together through the Lord's Supper. He keeps God's covenant for you. Aren't you glad this morning that we have a covenant-keeping God? That He doesn't break His Word. That He who started a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Amen? It's good news this morning. Alright, husbands. So what do you do? Husbands... See how Christ loves you. And then, husbands, show how Christ loves her. Quite simple. See how Christ loves you. And now that you know, show how Christ loves her. Question. Maybe one of the most convicting questions. A question a husband could ever answer. Did your conduct, your words, your tone, your actions this week, this morning, demonstrate the love of Christ to your bride? Did she walk away from spending time with you saying, thank you, Jesus, for loving me? That's it. So what does it look like? Just repeating, give yourself up for her. Give yourself up for her. I'm not telling you to sacrifice a little bit of your hunting time or a little bit of your fishing time or a little bit of your work time or a little bit of whatever. I'm telling you, put it all on the altar. Everything you do, you do for Christ. And therefore, as your first responsibility as a man, you give your life up for your wife. You lay aside your preferences, your needs, your desires, everything else. You don't come to the marriage front loaded with expectations. You come to the marriage with every intent to give it all up. 
Wanting to know her expectations and her needs and her desires and giving your whole self to filling that up. Because Christ did that for you. You were a sinner. Separated from Him. He didn't come chasing after someone who loved Him already. He came chasing after His enemy. And so you do everything that you have, everything that you can to give it all up for your wife. That's hard. I don't proclaim that to you this morning as a perfect saint. I proclaim that to you this morning as a broken sinner under the conviction of God's Word. And this is what Christ is calling me to. But we... Men have got to do this because God is worthy. Love your wife. Give it up for her. Number two, lead her in the word. You can't create yourself in your wife. That's never your purpose. Her intent is not to become like you. You don't try to make your wife look and talk and act more like you. You want your wife to look and talk and act and be more like Jesus. And so you lead her in the word. You do that by example. Certainly. And wives, he needs to do this by teaching and you need to allow it. Men, you need to take up the mantle of teaching your wife God's word. That is your responsibility. Wash her in the water of the word. Gentle, but bold. Caring, disciplined. All of those things. You teach her the word. Lead her in the word. Third, promote the beauty of Christ in her. We're almost there. Promote the beauty of Christ in her. Oh, how we love when our wives put on the, the dress or whatever it is that they do to dress up and the makeup and the making themselves up for us to go out and to have a date. Hopefully you guys are dating your wives at some point. I know time is stretched, but hopefully you're doing that. You should do that. And you just look at your wife and you say, man, she is beautiful today and that ought to be the case. You ought to admire God's created beauty in her. And yet... It ought to be far more important that her inward beauty would honor the Lord. And so you are striving with all that you are to help her, to encourage, to promote, to, to even, even, even help her to become more of a godly wife that her inward beauty might be the beauty of Christ. And she might glorify Christ in her life. It's an interesting thing about marriage, though, is that's both of you. You're both becoming more like Jesus. Gary Thomas said in his book, Sacred Marriage, the primary goal of marriage is not happiness, but holiness. I've already said that to you. Your purpose is to become more like Jesus. And I want you to know, listen to me. If you endeavor to be a husband or be a wife, know this, that marriage will be one of the most sanctifying experiences you ever experience in your life. It's going to be one of the hardest things you ever do. Because you can be somebody else everywhere else. But who you are on the inside comes bubbling forward whenever you get married. And all the things that you said, I didn't even know they were there. Jesus wants to expose and press out of you like an orange. So that you can be filled up with Christ. So promote the beauty of Christ in her fourth and almost there. Commit yourself to carrying or rather to caring for her. Commit yourself to caring for her. Nourish the same way Jesus provides for our physical, in some sense spiritual, you ought to be providing for the spiritual needs by by leading your family, by leading your wife spiritually. But at the same time, you're relying on the Spirit to do that. Regardless, 
providing for her emotional needs, her physical needs. You're caring for her. I think that this is what Peter meant when he called the wife the weaker vessel. It's our jobs to care. Primary role in their lives. One of the primary roles is to care, to nourish and cherish her. How many men have been married 10, 20, 30 years? And it's just like old hat. It's just normal, expected. God, help us if we stop treasuring our wives. Help us. We begin to grow cold and calloused and and hard-hearted and and tunnel vision. And we need to be reminded that she is a precious gift from the Lord. And we, we need to honor that. Honor that. And for if, number five, keep the covenant you made with her. should be something that goes without saying. But three quarters of a million people, it doesn't. Keep the covenant that you made with her. Marriage is a lifelong covenant made between two people. Man, woman, for life with God. It is a God-centered covenant. And whenever you commit to that, one man, one woman for life, you commit to a permanent union. It's not meant to be disposable. You don't just throw it away when it gets hard. It's amazing how men will train for triathlons and men will train for things at work that they just can't figure out and they've got to solve problems and, and they'll deal with the stress of a boss, but they won't come home and fight for their marriage. That'll preach. Be careful, men. To covenant with the Lord. So here's where we will close. Until we get to wives next week. So wives, hold on. We're coming back. Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Men in this room, there are some of you who have not Loved your wife in this way ever. There are other men in this room who you're struggling, man, right now to love your wife in in the way that Christ calls you to. There are marriages in this room that are in crisis or in turmoil right now in these very moments. And you don't know how to fix what's broken. There will be people inevitably who listen to this on recording later on our podcast who will be hearing this message and praying, God, would you do something? I don't know what to do. It is a profound mystery. And the answer is not that you would turn your mind to your marriage. The answer is that you would turn your mind to To the cross. Because when you see the love of God in Christ, you will begin to show His love to your spouse. And God will do what only God can do. And He will redeem what is far beyond fixing. And He will get glory at the end of the day because a husband will say, Jesus loves me and therefore I love my bride. And a wife will say, my husband shows me Jesus. And that is a healthy marriage. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you in some ways this morning and call you to respond in some ways. Number one, if you are one of those husbands who is not obedient to this passage, or maybe you're just struggling, you you need strength to follow what Christ has called you to. Here's my invitation to you. 
the Lord would have you to do this morning is to come to this place, bow the knee before the Lord, humble yourself before him this morning and plead with God for his mercy. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you be the kind of husband that God's called you to. Some of you in this room, your wife, you're here, your husband may or may not be with you, but you say as a spouse, my husband's not doing that. How do I get him to do that? Your instructions coming next week, and I would say give yourself to that, but beyond it, you grab somebody in this room in the next few moments, whenever we give the invitation, you grab somebody in this room and you say, will you please pray with me? Pray for my husband. Grab another wife, another woman in this room and say, can you pray with me over my husband? I'm, I so want him to know Christ in the way that this passage calls him to. Maybe you're in this room and you've, things are great in your marriage. God's redeemed some things and you've got stories to tell of his goodness. And maybe you know of another marriage in this room and you just need to go and reach out to somebody and go pray with them. I want you to do that this morning. Some of you are here this morning having never known the love of Jesus in your life. And as Robert prayed just a few moments ago when we had the Lord's Supper, we are praying that you would come to know Christ today. Would you surrender it all to know a love that you could never know anywhere else? To be forgiven of all of your sin, to be saved from an eternity in hell, and to spend eternity with Christ. Would you, would you give yourself to the Savior today? In just a few moments when we stand, would you step, step out of the place where you're standing, just come down this altar, say, Pastor, today I want to be saved. We invite you to come. So all across this room, I want to invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to have our time of decision, response this morning. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place, God, that we... We would honor you with our lives and in our homes and our marriages as husbands. And God, that you would, God, that you would move in our hearts to respond to you today. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.